The comeback is one of the greatest stories told in sports, but it's also one of the greatest stories told in rehab. You're listening to Comeback Season, a sports medicine podcast that educates and inspires others through tales of triumphs over injuries. We're your hosts. I'm Marcos. And I'm LG. We're doctors of physical therapy with the board certification in sports. Each week, we will introduce you to amazing individuals and their journey to discover the power of the human spirit when the human body appeared broken. Listen to the lessons they have learned and how their rise was greater than the fall. Hey everyone, this is Marcos and LG and you are listening to Comeback Season. This is the show that educates and inspires listeners through incredible stories of triumphant returns from devastating injuries. Today's guest is Brandon Opalaby. Brandon is a former UM University of Miami basketball player and the current CEO of Dibia Athletic and Dibia Dream, two organizations with a mission of enhancing life skills through sports and STEM education. Brandon, thanks for coming on today. Oh, thank you for having me. Honored to be here. Brandon, we met initially at the University of Miami, and you originally came from New Orleans. All right, Brandon, I was about to introduce you with, with some that New Orleans throwback slang. Uh, say, what up, Woody? Give <laughs> <laughs> a dream, take it over for the 9-9 in the 2000s, but I decided to, uh, to save that. I'm No, LG is probably glad I didn't <laughs> throw it back to cash money. Last. Hey, I'm gonna be real. Every time I hear New Orleans, that's the, the, the immediately that's the first thing I think about. I'm like, what ward are they from? That's all. And my ignorance is like, what ward? Everybody from a ward, <laughs> and I'm like, when I meet people, they're like, yeah, everybody from the ward. So. I'm from the seventh ward. Brandon, who else hails from the seventh ward? Are there any like famous seventh ward alum that that, that our listeners might be familiar with? <laughs> um, Manny Fresh. Get your right. roll on. <laughs> Manny Fresh honestly had a string of sort of best hits while I was in college. Uh, and I, like I grew up on a lot of New Orleans music, especially hailing from you know the country town of Arkansas. It was like New Orleans and Memphis, right? So right. Master P, No Limit, Cash Money. Whew. I would love, try to get some of the songs in the background, but we ain't got the license and the rights to that. Uh, <laughs> right. I ain't trying to have nobody come for me like that. But Brandon, tell us we what just, it was like growing we- up in New Orleans. Uh, you know, New Orleans is a is an amazing city. Uh, the culture alone um, just is something that you just want to be a part of, right? You know, everyone now is seeing the different festivals we have. Like everyone's now going to Essence Fest, or everyone comes to Mardi Gras. But those are like big theme events, right? Just being a part of the culture uh, in New Orleans and growing up in New Orleans and how we were raised and the things we were able to see and the opportunities we had. Um, is just truly amazing. It's, it's just one of a kind. It's a really one of a kind city. So, Brandon, uh, you grew up playing basketball. I know that's what kind of led you to the University of Miami. Did you play any other sports growing up? I played soccer, football, and I was in karate. And then uh, eighth grade year, I stopped everything for basketball. You have had an interesting kind of transition. Uh, I mean, we'll get into your, your University of Miami basketball career, but you, you transitioned from the hardwood to starting this uh, the STEM education programs that are at the Divya Dream Foundation. And I, I feel like, and I was talking to LG about this, I feel like a lot of people that get into edu- the education space and inspiring youth probably had some really good like mentors growing up or some interesting stories from their own childhood education that kind of put them on a path to where they are now in that education space yeah i have good stories i don't know if i ever thought that i would be in this space right now i think that 
because of what I went through as a child and how I went through as a child, one day I was sitting around saying, you know, how can we help kids? Um, and I kept, I think sometimes when I keep hearing things or things are around me, it means that I need to address it, right? Like parents kept asking me to train their kids in basketball. So we started Divi Athletic and that's just how it started. Then uh, we would scholarship kids to our program and it was like, okay, some of these kids are not on the same educational pathways as other kids. So how do we help them? We're not going to start a school, but let's start after school programming. Um, and that's how Dream came about with some other components. And then what I realized is that the, the things that we put in place were things that I accidentally fell into as a kid, right? Like I was kicked out of second grade and went to a creative arts school. And that school uh, had an art show and they would sell my art. Uh, and everything sold out. So I started selling uh, T-shirts in the third grade. And so I became an entrepreneur in the third grade, but that's how I fell in love with art. And I would collect cement and I would say, look, mom, I'm collecting rocks. And my mom's like, nah, that's not stones. That's real cement. So I'll teach you about stones. Or I broke open my Nintendo. And that's how I started to understand the workings and technology of different systems. And that started my STEM journey along with... Uh, you know, science fairs and winning science fairs. So all of those things that I accidentally kind of did, that wasn't uh, a program, right? I just had uh, parents who allowed my mind to travel and do whatever it wanted to do. Uh, and there was no boundaries. And so we said, let's put this into a program. And if we could get two kids earlier or uh, make education fun or cool, we can change the thought process and the pathway uh, of a lot of kids' futures. And so that's what we just did. And we just hit the ground running. When we started Divi Athletic, we were in Miami. Next week, we were in Bermuda. And then the next year, we were in Baltimore and New Orleans, and we expanded fast. And the same thing kind of happened with Dream, except it was more about education, right? Looking at the education system the flaws that are in the system. How are we still in this system today? Why is it happening this way? And now figuring out, okay, let's navigate a better platform to ensure kids have opportunities. We cannot just consistently give them the same thing and expect something different. So um, that's really how it started. It was one day sitting down, after we started Divi Athletic, one day sitting down on a Saturday saying, how do we help kids? Dream came into my head, and then I started, uh, I built an acronym around what Dream meant, which was development through recreational education for aspiring minds. And then from there, we were doing nonprofit activities under a for-profit. So we took all of those activities, put them under a nonprofit, built some amazing programs, brought in some great people to assist because I wasn't in education. I was more on the sports side, motivation side. So brought in some great people to uh, really build curriculum and navigate that space. And then, you know, we just kind of took off from there. You talk about your parents and you weren't doing really well academically, but still your parents being able to, you know, breaking a crack in a Nintendo open. Some right. parents would be like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, uh, like, you know, you don't get either punished or I'm snatching it from you, taking the time to say, okay, all right, there's something bigger, there's something behind this. Let's Let's take a step back. Let's cultivate uh, this curiosity. But that, I think that's amazing that that you got that while you were young. And I think that a lot of kids are missing that 
no matter what socioeconomic status they come from, you being able to offer that to the community is huge, man. So thanks for that. No, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's important. I mean, we talk about it and you hear it a lot all the time. Representation matters. But uh, if you never see certain opportunities and I'm not just picking on sports because I think sports is something that I had to take a step back and understand as I got older why kids go into sports. Right. So I wanted to play in the NBA because one, I could provide for my family and two is something that I love. And it was also an escape for me. And it's consistently been an escape or my sanctuary is what I like to call it. And I think that that's what we miss, right? When a lot of people uh, talk about, hey, why are people in sports? Um, it's because it's their escape. And so right. you escape that's consistently there. And then now you can get paid handsomely for it. Um, why wouldn't you want to pursue it over something that, is more of a learned, uh, a learned experience that you like, right? Like, right. I didn't know like science until I did something, but I always love sports just because I love sports. Mm -hmm. um, first thing, but there's also reverse. There's some people who love science or uh, different things other than sports, and then a parent will push them into a sport. They may like it eventually, but it wasn't their first love, right? It's not their right. escape, and so it's really about making sure that people understand, look, you don't have to just play the sport. You could be the general manager. You could be a trainer. You could be president of business operations. You can be all type of things within sports and be and still be within the sport versus having to play it. You could play it on the weekends, but, you know, you're with the Miami Heat doing, um, you know, different things on the player development side. So it's just about not limiting yourself to only – playing the sport, but there's so much more to be involved in the sport. And I think that's what a lot of kids don't see as they're uh, going on their quest to be a professional athlete or something like that. You know, you went to UM. Tell us about that a little bit. You know, I know you, I mean, obviously UM is huge, Division One program. People people know about household name, UM, and UM basketball has gotten better over the years. Their football team. I try not to talk too bad about you guys. I, I want to know. Hey, 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 we, hey, we coming back. We coming back, man. <laughs> it's, a, it's a process. We're all. Yeah. Uh, y'all been, been saying it's a process for the past about 10, 15 years. So I'm going to just I'm going I'm I'm to sit back for this season and just kind of see how it goes. But I will say, uh, as I say all the time, I tell Marcos this all the time. When UM is good, college football is better. I just That's don't want them to beat Notre Dame. So. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. So, Brandon, when you when you arrived on campus at UM, um, uh, you initially weren't offered a scholarship, correct? Right. So, tell me about how your your transition to becoming a UM athlete happened, coming out of New Orleans. The University of Miami gave me pretty much an academic scholarship. Uh, so I said, hey, if I go there, I could just walk on the team. Now, today, knowing what that process is and understanding it. I'm not sure if I would have done the same thing. The people around me were so positive at the time uh, that I felt that I could do anything. So I was like, yeah, I'll walk on the team. I'll make the team, then I'll play Division One, And said it like that, like it was an easy task. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so, and literally, I mean, that was it. I was like, hey, I work out every day. I'll meet team people. I'll meet the team. Uh, I'll talk to the coaches and I'll, you know, try out. They cannot, you know, not pick me. That was just in my head. And 
what was fortunate is that the coaches from Tulane who had seen me play in New Orleans were close to my high school coaches, but also that head coach became the head coach of the University of Miami. Um, and so they knew who I was. So I would at least get a tryout in a hard, like a real consideration to be a walker. Hmm. And so the day of tryouts, well, earlier that summer, I had a what did I, food poison. And so it was, you know, horrible and all kind of pain. So two days before tryouts, I had the same pain and I had fish from the cafeteria. So I was like, all right. Let's eat. <laughs> <laughs> Probably was hey, mistake number one right there. Don't eat fish from right. the UM cafeteria. Right. So I had fish from the calf and I was like, you know what, man, this is, you know, it hurts, but, you know, we got trials. So, you know, we just got to get over it. And so everybody kept saying, you need to go to the nurse on campus. And so like literally the day before trials, I went and she did all these tests and she was like, you need to go to the emergency room right now. I'm like, ma'am, I got trials tomorrow. So I'll go after <laughs> He's like, oh, you need to go right now. They're expecting you. And I'm like, expecting me for what? So I, walk <laughs> I walk across the campus and then soon I, they, I, they probably... I don't know if they had a picture of me, but as soon as I walked through those uh, sliding doors, they were like, Brandon, come here, pumping me full of vanilla shakes or whatever. And then I had maybe two minutes and I text my dad like, hey, I'm getting my appendix removed. Uh, see you later. Something like that. And when <laughs> I, uh, my dad was there, he had already you know, got on a flight and was in Miami. Um, and all of my friends were there and they had already tried out the day before. So... Uh, I was just asking the coach, like, hey, can I get a one-day tryout or something like that? And they were like, okay, when you're healthy, you can come for a tryout. So two weeks, I came back. Um, mind you, the appendix pain was the worst pain I had felt at that time. Um, I came back two weeks, had a tryout, and I did all right. I think I did all right. They'll tell the story like I, I had a good tryout, and they were in their head was like, okay, we'll just have him on as a walk-on, no biggie. The, the way I started playing was because I would play defense. Like you weren't passing to my side. I communicated well. And then whoever I was guarding in practice just wasn't scoring to the point where the walk on team would start really being competitive with the starters. And so I'll never forget like the first, we're playing in the biggies, we're playing at Pitt, maybe 10 minutes left in the game. Coach says, Brandon. And I'm looking around like, I mean, <laughs> I know he said Brandon. <laughs> is there anyone else here that's na also named Brandon? <laughs> I went in like this. This is nah. He's not serious. And then he said it again. And he was like, "Look, you got to guard this guy." Yada yada yada. I said, "All right." So we start coming back. We're down four. Uh, they take me out, and I think we only lose by maybe two, something like that. The game, the game became really close, and um, from there I started playing like on high intensity defensive possessions that were needed, right? And so that experience was uh, beyond amazing because you're playing, you know, that's when we're in the Big East. So we're, we're playing in the garden, Cameron Indoor, Madison Square Garden, uh, playing against, you know, guys who were, who earned a scholarship in their senior year. It's, um, as I'm even saying it now, realizing the, the actual, you know, impact and what took place. Because uh, like I said, to me, it was nothing at the time. I was like, yeah, I'll make a team. It's not a problem. Um, not really understanding there's a lot of politics that was involved as well like you just don't know that you know as a 18 year old entering a Miami campus or 
major division one college. You just don't understand all that. But I'm grateful I didn't because I would have had, you know, more barriers in my head. So, no, the experience was amazing. Like LG and I, uh, when we were working together, there was constant conversations we would have with kids that had D1 aspirations and a little bit aloof to the process <laughs> of right. what it's like to walk on uh, to a division one sports team. You know, conversations where they were just going to like just, you know, show up in the coach's office and, you know, just email them, you know, like it just doesn't work that way. <laughs> but that's what we believe because, you know, I have parents and different they'll go to basketball camps or different things like that. And they're like, hey, do you know this coach? Um, can you email this coach? Can I email him tape? And I'm like, I mean, you can. Uh, I'm never going to tell anybody not to because there are stories where somebody emailed and somebody actually opened it and they watched it and then, you know, it goes from there. But that's beyond rare. You know, there's a couple people I've talked at different schools to walk on. And I was like, look, if they give you a tryout, that's great. But once you get that tryout, it's you don't see nobody but, you know, you like you have to be the best player that's ever walked in that gym on that date. And then if you actually make the team, what you have to do as a walk-on just to con just to stay a walk-on, not even go above that. Like you have to make certain grades, you gotta be there on time and you're not playing. Like you have to have a certain level of uh, tenacity, perseverance, hard work, discipline to just stay there hoping that you get, you know, 10 seconds on the court, 20 seconds on the court or, you know, more, right? And so it's just something that I constantly talk to kids about because playing D1 is great, but to get there, you know, it's a process, especially now you see all these high school games on ESPN. You're like, man, there was no games right. around ESPN or these different things, rankings and all this stuff. It's just, um, it's, it's a true process that I think a lot of parents and kids just don't understand. And then when you try to explain it to them, they feel like you're trying to pull them back. And I'm like, no, I'm just preparing for you for what you're about to get into. You can do it. You just need to be prepared. The walk-on process at Notre Dame, um, and I'm sure all Division One programs, most walk-ons will probably have some of the same stories. And honestly, for me, watching from afar that walk-on process made me come to the realization that I didn't truly love football as much as I thought I did. Because, you know, you, especially as a freshman, you know, you've been on this recruiting trail where I've been catered to and the red carpet's been rolled out and all these official visits. I get to pick kind of the college of my choice. And when I get there, obviously, it's a rude awakening because you're like, all right, now you're here. We putting in work. So you got to be here at these 430 in the morning workouts. But we would literally get to these workouts and the walk-ons, you know, obviously you would see every week you would see, you know, 50 guys, then you see 30 guys and they'd be cutting, cutting down over the course of the summer leading up to seeing who's going to make the cut for the walk-ons. But you'd be getting there at 4.30 in the morning, 4.45, and the walk-ons would be finishing their workout. Right. You'd be like, bro, I'm like, bro, that means y'all started at like 3.30. <laughs> like, <laughs> and you realize like I did, I, I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I would have had the mental fortitude and the resiliency and just the want to and that internal drive to say, I don't have, I don't know if I'm going to make the team. I don't know. You just, I, you just have to be built different. Obviously, once you start to really understand 
you know, what drills they were doing. And I'm like, dude, you guys are doing just drills to make you quit. I mean, they're just trying to see who's going to stay. And they're just cutting, seeing who really wants it. And then obviously they get to skill specific type of drills. But um, yeah, I I, I want to know when the movie's going to come out. When they're going to hit you up for the movie rights for your story and call I it know, right? Diddy's Dream. Because <laughs> it sounds a lot like Rudy right now. Yeah, uh, no, nah, this could definitely be on a Disney Plus uh, <laughs> debut, <laughs> debut in fall of 2020, 2023. Uh, Bert, I got to give you props because honestly, like, I, I have a patient currently that um, ruptured their uh, appendix and had the emergency like appendectomy. And for you to try out, <laughs> would you say it was like two weeks after that? It was two weeks. And I remember this to this day that my dad had a friend here. I had never met this woman. It was his uh, it was his friend's wife. And I remember like the day after surgery or the day that they let release me, they let me stay at their house. And I would just get up and just hold this woman because I was like, I, I can't I don't even know what to do. The amount of pain that I'm in right now, because I just never felt anything like it. And I didn't, I, even after the surgery, I didn't comprehend what could have happened. Cause nobody really explained. It was like, you need to go to ER, take these shakes. You're going to have surgery, woke up. And then I was more concerned about tryouts. So I didn't really get a grasp of this could have, you know, ruptured and this could have happened. And you're going to have this part. There was no, you know, like before you go into surgery, someone explains to you what's going to take place. That just did not happen. And then like, like I said, it was only, they were like, hey, we'll give you a certain amount of time and then you can try out. And it was, I was intelligent as far as school, but I couldn't really process being in college and not playing a sport or playing basketball. That just, I'm not sure I was able to handle that. And so I was working so hard to ensure that I still could play basketball, I could still go to school and um that was just it it was that or nothing and i think that with that mindset allowed me to do that and i think kids today have to be a little bit uh, guided a little bit more and understand that you have to you have to put in the work that's just as, as plain as you could say like kids today that will train on the Divi athletic side they'll take a ball shoot from the three-point line i'm like yeah you guys forget all the videos that they show of steph as a kid you know, shooting on a two-foot basket or four-foot. He he gradually got to shooting from the stands. Like, this just didn't happen. Right. Yeah. They The process is what we're missing. I think a lot of people, and Jay-Z talked about it, a couple people talked about it. It's like people want the end result, not the process. And I think that people have to really enjoy the process more than the end result. I'm, I would just finish this book today. I think it's called Illogical or something. And the guy talked about how, you know, people set limits like, oh, I want to make 10 shots. But then if you make 10 shots, you got to figure out, you know, what's the next goal. And so he said, I wanted to be I'm paraphrasing, but like I want to be the best shooter. So if I'm the best shooter now, I'm shooting, you know, layups, well, free throws, mid range, threes, uh, all kind of stuff. So instead of me putting it in just being making 10 shots and then now have to figure out more goals. I've made the goal so large that if I'm the great shooter, that means any shot, I'm, I'm able to do that. And I think sometimes we we put a goal and it's it's small, but to us at the time it's big. And then we got to re 
you know, readjust. And sometimes it's just really understanding that process to get to that bigger goal is, is the real journey, not just achieving that goal. So Brandon, what was it like when you finally got your name officially on the back of that jersey? Oh, it was crazy. You know, I walked in the locker room. Everybody else just, you know, they just fine. And I'm like, oh, wait, they spelled it right? That's the right <laughs> that was the first thing. When I was checking the game, it was like Brandon Opalaka. Brandon Opalaka. <laughs> and then, uh, okay. And then, and I was like, if you just tried a little bit um, <laughs> or asked me before, but, you know, seeing my name on the back of the jersey was amazing. And then um, my senior year, getting a scholarship and being team captain like that's just you know there's just things that you you don't expect um you may think that this may happen but you know when it does happen it's it's an experience that i think now i'm starting to really appreciate experiences right instead of just moving on to the next goal or the next outcome or whatever it may be it's really enjoying this experience and then saying okay i appreciate it this has been good Okay, now I can move on instead of just, you know, grabbing the jersey, going and play and stuff like that. What is that? What does that mindset come from? Is this something that you got from your parents? Is this something you got from your environment growing up in New Orleans? Because like I said, you just had a mindset to where it didn't make sense for you to be in college and not play a sport. And like you just had your mind made up that you're going to walk into the team like it was a foregone conclusion. And a lot of people struggle sometimes to kind of have that confidence that when they take on a goal. Yeah. So um, I'm Nigerian and they have a saying that it's Niger no day carry less. And that means Nigerians strive for excellence. And as I got older, some people sometimes say, you know, Nigerians are arrogant or stuff like that. I don't necessarily believe that. I do believe that we work extremely hard. And so my father works really, really hard. So he's extremely confident because of the work that he's put in, right? My mom uh, worked the same or even more. So she was always ultra positive. Um, and when I was younger, I wasn't the most positive, but then she bought me the, the power of positive thinking. Um, my barber, my senior year in Michigan, where my mom lived at the time, while she would cut my hair, she would just say positive affirmations. And I'm like, why is she always so positive? <laughs> I'm like, everything can't be that great. But no matter when I would get my hair cut, that's what she would do. And so then I actually started to take these affirmations seriously, right? Say them every day, start to actually believe them. And then it's the work you put in. You know, you're not getting up at whatever time people get up. I get up at 5.30, work out and do certain things. I read a lot more than I ever have read before and do certain things to prepare myself to be successful. And so I did that the same when I was younger. I was always at a basketball camp or working out or practicing. Like I didn't have off time. I was at school. And then if we got out at three, from three to the lights went off, I was playing basketball or practicing in the summer. I would make up my own drills and just be in the gym all day until it started to be where the gyms that I would go to in Michigan, they just knew me by name. I didn't even have to pay anymore. It was like, all right, you're just going, you're just going to shoot all day. So that's what I did. So I think it comes from the amount of time that you put in uh, also your mentors or your family members or people who pour into you. And then, some of it has to be your faith. Like I prayed really hard for the things I wanted, um, really hard. 
to the point where things would happen. And I was, and I was like, how did this just happen? Like that? Um, not realizing that I was praying hard all day for it. So I think all of those, you know, come into a, a, a one kind of melting pot and, and become a formula for success. For some kids, we struggle with trying to get that across. We're big on goal setting. I think with any physical therapy, you know, recovery, injury, it's super important to come up with, have your patient make their own goals. And when making those goals and setting those goals, obviously it's not my my responsibility to tell you that that goal is too lofty. My responsibility is to say, okay, this is what it's going to take to get to that goal. And it's a constant assess and reassess of, all right, where are we at with our goal? And are we putting the work in that we need to, to attain or to achieve that? Doing that at a young age, you know, for myself, my dad and my parents were big on goal setting, but everybody doesn't have that. So some people don't even know what a goal is. And you realize that with not only young adults and young children, but some adults, you know, it's, it's one thing to say, I want to do something, but not having the knowing the process or knowing how to get there um, is is difficult or they're just ignorant to it. So it is, is that melting pot. And I, I struggled with confidence on my end. And, and it's, it's, it's always reassuring when I see young athletes or just athletes in general that can put the confidence with the work and then you feel like you can't be stopped at that point. Yeah, I mean, I think that people have to look at it from a perspective of, you know, what are you trying to do? You know, you could either sit down and watch and have court side seats or you could be playing, right? Like when I ruptured, I ruptured my Achilles after playing, uh, maybe a year after. And so uh, the doctor said, you know, we could either put you in a cast and you can walk or you can have surgery and play basketball. It's like, whatever I can do to play basketball, fine. And then he was like, okay, the process is eight months to a year to come back. And so going through the first month of rehab, I was like, man, there's gotta be a way I can speed this up. I cannot just sit down and, you know, operate like this. And so I started going to the court when I could walk and I would just walk and do stuff. And so I came back in about four months. And when I say came back, I was able to like, jock and then i started playing in five months but i was playing as where i'm mindful i'm not about to make a cut i'm not about to do this i'm not trying to dunk i'm just trying to be out here to make sure that i don't get hurt again and then it naturally you know got way better and then i was fine but it's the thought process of i'm not gonna let this hold me back right this is not gonna be my destiny I'm going to make a change. And I think that the, the, the concern that I see a lot today is that people, and they're going through a lot. So I'm not going to say, you know, people just need to you know, change the thought process because it's not that easy. But, right. you know, it's really about taking some time to do some inner work, um, especially for athletes. Uh, you know how everybody was talking about Ben Simmons. That's all mental. Like, mm-hmm. I knew if I shot the ball and missed, I was coming out the game. But if I didn't shoot the ball and I played defense, I played 20 minutes. So it's to me, playing 20 minutes is better than playing one, two, five, anything less than 20. And so I didn't shoot the ball or I shot a layup or if I shot the ball, I was like, well, you know, it's already been 20 minutes. So I got my. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got, you got a, you, you know, 
there's some mental blocks that you put on yourself, but then there's also times where it's like, all right, you need to talk to a therapist or talk to somebody to help you out the situation. Like seeking help um, is never a weakness. I definitely want to get that point across because I think that sometimes we as men look at situations where, okay, if I need help, that's a weakness. No, you, you don't know everything. I did not know everything about playing basketball in college or studying electrical engineering, um, starting a for-profit business. I didn't know anything about starting a nonprofit business. And now even with the, I have a STEM show on discovery education. It's not like I had training for how to be on air. It was just, all right, you got to figure it out or look at a bunch of other people who've been on and, and try to learn some things. It's, it's always about trying to learn more and seek, um, more opportunity, more information from people who've mastered it, so you can add that to your repertoire. Right. That's 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 really powerful. Uh, I I think I I side with LG. We got to somehow you know get this over to the executives at Disney to see if we can <laughs> get this old Polyby project green lit. <laughs> and I, and I want I want to know how I could be down. Let me let who can I play? <laughs> let me yeah. let me know who I can play in this movie for sure. Brett, I got to go back because. You, we talked about the appendix, and you just talked about the Achilles rupture, like being back on the court within like five months. Right. So take us back to like when you initially ruptured the Achilles. Like, what was that? What was the play? We want to imagine this as if we were on the sideline watching it happen. Sure. So you know, we were in the wellness. I had started Wellness Sundays where we would just get a group of guys to play. Um, Rich, you know, Rich. Uh, he was coming out on a fast break. It was just him and I, and he pulled up from the free throw line uh, and I jumped and I heard this loud pop in my ear and he, he missed or might've made it. I'm not really sure, but when I turned- Sound like he missed. I know. <laughs> it, probably, it, probably, it, probably, it probably was a break and a rebound going back the other way. <laughs> so when I look, I turn around me, it's just a wall and I'm like, all right, so nobody kicked me. And then I'm just walking and I'm like, man, something, something is off. And so I walk it off and that's a Monday. So Thursday I go to the doctor and, you know, we, we have a conversation operation on Friday, rested Saturday and Sunday. And then I was back in working at Deloitte with crutches and a portfolio bag on Monday. Today, that's crazy, right? I didn't even have the, what do you, they have the wheelie now? <laughs> the little scooter. I had yeah. crutches, like crutching files everywhere. And so naturally I was going to rehab maybe twice a week, but I was doing everything at home. You know, the extra stretches and putting a tiger bomb on, anything that I could do to heal this thing faster. I was like, look, I'm not taking nine to 10 months. That's just not happening. I cannot, you know, be like this for nine to 10 months. And um, I think I came back way too fast, but I was very cautious about it. You know, I wasn't running, but I was definitely walking, moving a little bit, especially going against their advice. But I just knew that I could, something told me that I would heal up fast. I don't know what that illogical logic was, but, um, I just knew that it was going to be, it wasn't going to take me that long. I like what you said just now about, uh, your body's ability to heal. And I feel like we're constantly telling our patients at work, you know, that your mind is really driving this process. And you never want to estimate, underestimate, excuse me, the body's ability to heal, you know, when the mind is kind of driving that process. So I think listening to you thus far, like, you know, we, we definitely got a good 
peek and insight into like your thought process. You know, when it when it came to arriving on the University of Miami and making the basketball team, when it came to, you know, dealing with the appendix and dealing with the Achilles and getting back on the court uh, sooner than expected, you know, because it is taking people like nine to 12 months. It depends on kind of what surgical route they take. Uh, but hearing your story, you're just kind of bypassing those expectations. So it's like a, you, you part Nigerian, part Condon. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what lane you you fall in there right now. But like you got that secret sauce, you need to pass on to us. You own it to yourself now. But I got I got to commend both of you guys because you guys are both D one athletes, and you all have both made the transition from sports into like impacting other individuals in different walks of life which i think is like incredible and i know for myself when i've been at the the stem saturdays that the energy has been like incredible <laughs> i remember the first time you reached out to me because you guys were doing something about building like an artificial heart and right you were looking for like healthcare providers in the community and you hit me up and i remember walking in there and it's the look on these kids faces and it goes back to what you said in the beginning you know you can't become something you don't see so right. I think it was just amazing to be a part of that, uh, to kind of see those kids' eyes light up. Like, yeah. Oh, like, you know, science can be a lot of fun. Medicine can be really cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, uh, big shout out to Dr. Calvin Mackey and STEM NOLA. Um, they have really, when we started, really guided us down a path and uh, do amazing work with kids. And then we had Dr. Griggs also as well. And the whole... The whole room did the sound of a heartbeat, which I cannot, even when I explain to people the process, I, I do it a disservice to see a whole room of people uh, making the sound of a heart, building a mechanical heart, uh, dissecting a sheep heart. Like you see, you're seeing young kids doing this. And at the time, I think that was our first one. So we did 120 girls and the impact you saw in that room the conversations you start to hear, that's that's what you want to hear um, because you're trying to really impact change, right? Like I always put a hashtag be the change because we have a lot of things in our communities that may not be the way that we think they should be, but we can either continue to complain about them or we can do the work and change them. And some of that means just doing it versus asking and asking for permission and trying to partner with this person or that person. It's about, hey, if you can get it done, get it done. And impacting the future is very important to me because, like I tell people all the time, I'm not looking for another war or an article or anything like that. I'm looking to ensure that we help as many kids as possible because they are the future, right? The problems that we see today, we're not gonna fix, they are. And if we don't equip them with the tools that they need, change the way they're educated, give them opportunities so they can be the best version of themselves, we're doing them a huge disservice. It's like when we talk about, um, sometimes we talk about the old guard doesn't wanna pass down and now we're becoming the more mature guard, as I would like to say. And um, we got we to gotta reach back. We got to reach back and make sure that they don't make the same mistakes that we did and give them the opportunities that we might not have had or we might not have taken advantage of. Just being in that room and seeing those kids like feed off of like all the collective brilliance that's in the room, too. It just really it really puts them on the right path, uh, right. so right. to speak. So, Brandon, you went from the you went from selling T-shirts and artwork to walking on to UM basketball team, getting a scholarship, becoming team captain, 
uh, to starting these these nonprofit organizations that are impacting the lives of uh, kids everywhere. What is up next? Uh, up next is expansion of everything. Divi Athletic uh, just expanded to Dallas, and we'll probably expand to another city, hopefully by the end of the year. Divi Dream. Uh, we are having conversations with a couple island governments to ensure that we have a program there. Uh, really look at how do we take Step Saturdays to the next level and our after-school program, and then start to really change the dynamic of some of the companies we're already in. Uh, science, the new company we started beginning of September, uh, it's really just changing the name of science, right? Like everyone thinks science is only in this box, but our tagline is everything is in science. So we're bringing out some state-of-the-art kits so that kids from all over can purchase kits and engage in science differently. Uh, with Discovery Education, this, uh, we will add some cool new concept to the shows and reach more kids. Uh, it's just amazing that that show is reaching so many people. I'm, I'm constantly blown away by that. And then I'm writing a book and uh, starting a STEM series. I think I have a couple names I'm throwing in the air, but, you know, we'll see what sticks. But, you know, trying to do that. And then hopefully, you know, we get a Marvel STEM movie. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Please, please let us be in the background. <laughs> Some scene. Like, I know they're probably going to redo a scene from STEM Saturday. So, like, just, just let me play myself. <laughs> That's yeah. all I asked. Uh, yeah. Brandon, what's the uh, what's the best way for people to connect with you and your foundations? Sure. Uh, there's Dibia Athletic, D-I-B-I-A Athletic uh, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. There's Dibia Dream, uh, same science is Explore Science. Uh, science is spelled S-I-Y-A-N-S-E. So it's at Explore Science on Facebook fan page, Instagram, Twitter, and then my personal page is at Opalabi, O-K-P-A-L-O-P-I, uh, and then there's Opalabi.com. All right, Brandon, one one last question, I'm going to let you get out of here. Uh, what message would you give to the youth that have not walked into STEM Saturdays and are, you know, looking for another way to, to have an impact in this world? without, you know, being an athlete? Yeah, I would say that there's always a line I lead with. I'll say something else as well. But there's a quote, life is filled with opportunities, not entitlements. You know, take advantage of opportunities when people give them to you, right? Everyone's not trying to use you or just trying to just tell you to do something because they want to. They're trying to give you opportunities so you can see, hey, I like this or I don't. Or you may step into a space where you may not like it at the time and come up with an idea to change it. And now you change or the science or something like that. Things are always evolving, so never limits on yourself. Uh, and then uh, one of my friends started an organization called Be With Love, but I, I, I think that people need to start uh, doing things from that perspective, right? If you love the game, if you love the sport or of certain things you operate with. You know, our listeners can take away a lot from, you know, just your journey. Appreciate you for having me. Um, this this platform uh, is going to be a game changer because a lot of people go through various injuries or you call them setbacks, whatever it may be. And then 
uh, it's the process of how do they get out of it, right? And sometimes you may not have that answer or you may not know, but if you hear someone's story, because uh, everyone has a story, right? If you hear story that can help you or give you some tidbits on, okay, if I do this, or I read this book, or I do it my way, you know, that could help. Brandon, you think uh, uh, those, those, those t shirts and artwork is valuable today? That you no. uh you was pushing back in the day? I, I think so, but nobody uh I can't seem to find them, you know. <laughs> mama don't got mama don't have one. <laughs> and mom had the last one and you know, moms don't normally lose stuff and she was like, Yeah, I can't find it. I was like, bruh. So um <laughs> it wasn't good. <laughs> and mama said I, I can't find it. Okay, comeback season fans. You just finished listening to Brandon's interview. Now, Brandon actually discussed two injuries he had to overcome, an appendicitis and an Achilles rupture. Your appendicitis is inflammation of your appendix, which is a small organ that is part of the large intestine, but it really serves no purpose. However, it's something that commonly is removed because it causes a lot of trouble. And if it becomes inflamed and ruptures, it can release a lot of toxins in the body, which leads to it being a true medical emergency. Now, after surgery, you're looking at a typical recovery timeline before you're back on the court with one to three weeks. The only things that are limited are heavy lifting and you have to monitor for signs of infection. Famous athletes that have also had an appendix removed recently, none other than Joe Shiesty, Joe Burrow. Uh, he had his appendix removed recently and he is going to be back on the field, I believe, in time for week one of the season. If you want to hear another incredible story of what Joe Burrow has overcome, please Listen to our episode, Say It Ain't Joe. Brandon also had uh, an Achilles tendon tear. Now, there's three grades to tears uh, and strains. So it's tears, when you hear tears, when you hear strains, those terms are synonymous. So they mean the same thing. So a tendon connects the muscle to the bone. For your Achilles, it att attaches your gastrocnemius, fancy term for your calf muscle, to your calcaneus, which is the fancy term for your heel bone. This is the biggest tendon in your body. So there's tons of stress that comes through this tendon with walking, jumping, running. I mean, everything that you do, especially if you're an athlete, is going to come through your Achilles tendon. If you tear this tendon with grade one tear, it's the least amount of damage to the fibers of that tendon. Grade two, you get a little bit more uh, tearing. And then grade three is a complete rupture. The mechanism of injury or how you injure your Achilles tendon is typically a forced dorsiflexion, meaning say you jump off of a box, you go up for a jump shot, you come down on your feet, your, your feet, the ground kind of pushes your foot, your ankle upward, and then you immediately try to plantar flex or push off to take off. Uh, you can see this pretty, pretty uh, well with Kevin Durant's jump shot in the playoffs a couple years ago. A lot of players or a lot of athletes will say it felt like someone kicked them. You'll sometimes hear a loud, audible noise, like a pop, or some people will describe it as like it sounds like a gun going off. I have been in the room when someone's Achilles has ruptured. Uh, we were doing some recovery work when I was playing college football on a Wednesday. We were doing some starts, um, working on explosion, and we were basically just walking off of a box. I don't remember how high it was. But I look back, and I think it was a little too high. But we were walking off of, a, let's say, a 12-inch box. And as soon as we came off the box and our 
foot hit the ground, the very first foot that hit the ground, we were to take off into a quick sprint. Uh, we had a wide receiver that stepped off the box, went to take a sprint, and it was a pow. Like it literally sounded like somebody fired off a firework and his calf had rolled all the way up. It takes on a lot of forces. So when it comes to just rehab and getting back to your normal jumping, running, and cutting, you definitely have to take time and slowly progress the loads uh, with weight, with exercises to make sure that you don't have some type of setback. Now, we typically hear of the grade three tears, Kevin Durant, um, Clay Thompson, and I can go on and on with other athletes that have torn their Achilles tendon. And there's a complete rupture. So that means that usually the ends of the tendon, where the calcaneus, the heel bone, or where the tendon and the muscle of the calf attach, um, it tears from usually one of those ends. It can tear from the middle, but those are a little bit more rare. It can also tear kind of horizontally, or excuse me, vertically up and down, and that's even more rare as well. But typically it tears either off the bone or your tendon meets your, your muscle. You're looking at a long rehab. You're going to be weight bearing for quite a while, at least six to eight weeks worth of being on crutches, being in some type of boot, not putting any weight through your foot at all. Rehab as a whole and just that return to play, it's going to be upwards to nine to 12 months. We do have athletes that come back much sooner, but because it's such a vital tendon in the body, you want to be conservative with it. Trying to rush back is not the go-to with this at all. So again, Brandon didn't have a complete rupture, but we typically hear about the complete ruptures more so amongst athletes on ESPN. You just finished listening to Comeback Season. If you enjoyed this episode, please head over to Apple or Spotify to subscribe, share with your friends, and leave a review.